There's a uh, common cliche in sports, which uh, you know seems appropriate since playoffs are coming up in a, in a few different sports, to just kind of think a little bit about. It's, it goes something like this. There's a few forms of it. You, you'll usually hear it from players if they're being interviewed after they perform. They say, we just want to leave it all out there. Or before they go out there, we want to leave it all out there on the court. We want to leave it all out there on the ice. We want to Give it 110%. The idea is that you give it all and hold nothing back. Well, as cliche as that is, sometimes it's cliche to use sports analogies, but we have a good, we have good precedent for it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2, talking about pastoral ministry, uses a sports cliche. Well, not a sports cliche, a sports image. He says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, he stays focused. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He plays to win. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So Nick, Brad, as you prepare to take on the role of shepherd, of pastor, of overseer, of Grace Fellowship Church, I want to urge you, in the spirit of sport cliches, but also in the spirit of truth, to hold nothing back in your care for this flock. And I want to ground those words in the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, which we just read as he knows that he will not again see these elders of the church in Ephesus where he labored for years alongside them. These were his final words to them. His commissioning words to them are my initial words to you, brothers. Hold nothing back in your service to this flock. Give yourself. First of all, give give the whole counsel of God to this flock. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Paul has just explained to these elders that he is not going to see them again, but that his ministry has been fulfilled. It has been finished. He has done faithfully. He is innocent of their blood, which is a good place to be if you are charged with the care of people, to say, I've done what I was supposed to do. This is where we also want to be, innocent of the blood of all of them. Why? Because, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, we know that this has to do with teaching. This is not a surprise. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, he says to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order. What does that mean? It means appointing elders in every town as I directed you. Why? Because as he says in verse 9 of Titus 1, he, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. You are called to be Men who guard, who protect, who hold out, who proclaim, who uphold and cherish the truth. He goes on in verse 31 and says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. You are called to teach the word of God not in a dispassionate way, but in an admonishing way, urging obedience 
Urging discipleship, urging the following of Jesus. Which, which begs a question, what does Paul mean in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when he says that you are responsible for declaring the whole counsel of God? What does this phrase mean? It's not the first time Luke has used it. Luke, who wrote Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he recorded these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. Jesus says this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. See, the, the people who had believed in what John had said are rejoicing because Jesus is defending John. So they're rejoicing in this. But, verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God. That's our phrase that's translated in our text, the counsel of God. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized for him. In other words, what they've rejected is the plan of God coming to its completion, coming to its climax, the fullness of revelation in the coming of Jesus who was announced by John. They rejected the purpose of God, the unfolding plan of God for themselves. They were not baptized by John. They did not receive Jesus. They rejected the purpose, the will, the plan of God. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you're probably rejoicing because in verse 27 of our text, it says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. They translate the phrase the same way in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 20 as they do in Luke chapter 7, which is helpful, the NIV comes close. They have the will, the will of God. Do not shrink back from declaring the will of God. What does this mean, the whole counsel of God? This does not mean make it your life goal to preach through the Bible verse by verse. It does not mean make sure you preach every genre of the Bible. It does not mean that. It means you declare the purposes and the plan of God coming to fruition in Christ and then applied to the people of God. What does this mean for me? This is what the people received from John. They heard the message of what God was doing, and they said, what must we do? And John said, repent. He applied the purposes of God to them, and they received it. And the same way in Acts chapter 20, the elders are to urge the Ephesian church to receive the message of Jesus Christ and to live in light of this. This is why Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Why? Because he didn't shrink back from telling them, what does the gospel mean then for how I should live? Your task, brothers, is not primarily to be preachers. Your task is to labor in taking the full plan of God, his character, his will, as made known in the gospel, and applying that truth to us as a flock. You'll have to make sure I'm doing this in my preaching. You have to make sure that the staff is working this out in the ministries of the church. But more than anything, you brothers will need to be men who in your counsel, in the earnestness of your counsel, in your teaching, in your care, in your shepherding, in your speech, tell us what God wants from us. What should I do? What is the will of God for me? What is the purpose? What is the desire of God for me in light of the gospel? If you're a member of Grace Fellowship Church, this is good news, but it means that you need to be ready to 
receive it in your heart. Are you ready from those whom God has given you? Like God gave these elders to the church in Ephesus. He has now given you more elders. Are you now ready to receive the teaching of the purpose, the will, the plan of God fulfilled in Christ now applied to you in your life from the shepherds that God has given to you? Are you ready to receive it? Are you willing to hear Brad, Nick, Nabil, brothers, Paul says, I did not shrink back. He says this twice in this passage, which implies, obviously, there is reason to shrink back. There is temptation to shrink back. The gospel has implications that make it uncomfortable for us to say. The gospel has implications about the exclusivity of Christ the necessity of repentance and faith, that outside of Jesus there is no hope of salvation, which is a message that is not popular in our world. The gospel has something to say, but the wrath of God that remains on all those who are outside of Christ. The gospel has something to say about the meaning of marriage as a union of one man and one woman in covenantal love and faithfulness for life. The gospel has something to say about a fathers are to discipline their children. The gospel has something to say about how we as a community are to show mercy and kindness and grace to those in our covenant community and to come alongside and to help the weak. The gospel has something to say about the significance of our work Monday to Friday in both what we do and how we do it. And as sheep in a, a flock, we need shepherds to tell us how the word of God applies to us in our lives. So, pastors, tell us what God wants from us and hold nothing back. Give us the whole counsel of God. Who are you to give the whole counsel of God to? Paul wants to make that clear as well. He is going to say, give it to the whole flock of God. Take the whole counsel of God and give it to the whole flock of God. Don't hold back from giving it to anyone. So Paul says this. Notice, first of all, the language. In verse 17, Luke records this, that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus to call the elders. When the elders come, in verse 28, they're now called overseers. And the command to them is to care for, or better translation would be to shepherd the church. So so just again, a word on language. We've seen this again and again as we've studied eldership in the life of a local church. It's important to know that there is no difference between elder and pastor and overseer. They are elders who do the work of overseeing with a heart of a shepherd who cares for the flock. So what type of work is it that you are called to as overseers, as pastors, as elders? As you care for this whole flock, you are called to precious work. Precious work for this flock. This flock is close to the heart of God. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which, what do we know about this flock? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice the fullness of the triune God at work in this church. It is the Holy Spirit who made you overseers of the church of God, which is obtained with the blood of Christ. 
He is intimately associated in every dynamic of his being with his people. This is the blood-bought, God-loved, spirit-indwelt temple flock. These are the sheep of God. And he cares for them. They are precious, and so this work is precious. And if something is precious, what do you do? You protect it. You are called to a work that is protective of the whole flock. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The reality is that there are those who would destroy the faith of the church of God. There are those who wear big, bright smiles and lead you all the way to hell with their false teaching. You are called as shepherds to identify the poison mushrooms in the fields where the flock is grazing, to identify the creeping and hunting wolves who are seeking a sheep to devour. You do this by denouncing false teaching, protecting right doctrine. You do this by leading us in church discipline. But more than just reactive work, what we're called to, if the flock is precious and we're called to protective work, the only responsible answer is we're called also to proactive work. We need to get ahead of this. So Paul says this in verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. When Paul spent three years in Ephesus, he didn't spend his three years on Twitter figuring out what his cues for what he should be teaching were. Hey, what's trending in the evangelical world? That was not what he cared about. What he cared about was, what are the threats to this flock? And how do I build them up proactively to be able to withstand the storms that are coming? That this church would be grounded in truth is your great objective, brothers. How will this church, this flock, these people be built up and matured and strengthened for the storms that lie ahead for Christians in the city of Toronto in the 21st century? This is your labor, proactively planning, teaching, training, so as to protect the flock, the whole flock. You have done this, brothers, already for years in your music ministry. You've taught us the word of God in song. You've shepherded us in prayer. You have led us in worship so that we would let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we would teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we are calling you now to do so more and more. You have done this in preaching. You have done this in leading small groups. You have done this in friendships and conversations. We are calling you to do so more and more to make this not merely proactive but comprehensive work comprehensive of the whole flock. Look again at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd, he says, the church of God. We all know the image of the weak sheep wandering on the periphery of the flock that's vulnerable, the dumb sheep who wanders off and makes himself at risk. He's vulnerable. We are called to be like the heart of the father with shepherding instincts that go after the one that is straying to bring them back, to care for the weak, the unnoticed, the sufferer, 
But Paul's concern here is for not simply each member, but also for yourselves, for the elders. Paul's concern here for the Ephesian elders, do you notice it, is for the elders themselves. In verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, and he comes back to it again in verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So what happens if an elder goes rogue? What happens if an elder starts believing or saying or doing or teaching what he ought not to believe or say or do or teach? The biblical answer is this is why we have a plurality of elders. This is why you brothers are here to watch and to care for the other elders as well as to watch and care for yourself. This position does not mean that you will be without error. This position does not mean that any of us will be without error. This position does not mean that you will no longer be subject to temptation because you will. You are called to care for and to watch yourselves and these other elders. Now, if you're a member of Grace Fellowship Church, this is precisely one of the reasons why you should be rejoicing in the appointment of these brothers today. Because as we receive more elders, we receive more protection, more care, more safeguard from our Savior who says, yes, you are precious. I see that you're vulnerable. I know that you need care and I'm multiplying shepherds. And so we rejoice and we give thanks to God for this, that Brad and Nick are joining Nabil and myself to, as we're called to care comprehensively for protecting the precious flock of God. How in the world are we supposed to do this? You might be wondering, how are we supposed to accomplish this, to take the whole counsel of God, all the purposes, all the will of God, and apply them to all the flock of God that's been entrusted to us? The answer is to give your whole self to give your whole self to the work. If you're called to give the whole counsel to the whole flock, it's going to require your whole self. Again, brothers, hold nothing back. Look at verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This will require your entire mind as you think through what is true. It will require your time Paul admonished them night and day. It will require your physical presence. Paul proclaimed publicly, but also privately, house to house. It will demand your voice. He admonished everyone, and it will demand your heart, your affections. He admonished them with tears. Does this sound like a lot? Absolutely. And then... He asks still more. Look at verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say, don't worry, it's going to be easy. He says that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for the prestige or the power. He was in it to give, 
to give his energy, to give his time, to give his labor, to give his teaching, to give his very heart, to give his whole self for the whole flock. He did it because he cared for the sheep, but he also did it because he knew that Jesus' words were true, that it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. This will be a crucial question for you, brothers, as you engage this new stage of life and ministry. Do you actually believe it is more blessed to give than to receive? Are you willing to follow the pattern of Christ who gave up ease in heaven to endure suffering on earth, who gave up the righteous life that he had earned to take on himself our sin and suffering that he did not earn. He gave up his life that he did not have to give up in order to take our death that we should have taken. He gave everything. His own lifeblood was literally poured out for the church. If we are doing this right, then people should see the gospel, the self-giving of Christ in our shepherding, our giving of our whole selves to those we love. Brothers, you are being called to give your whole self, which means more than Simply playing songs on Sunday means prayer. It means admonishing the church. It means leading. It means showing us Christ in your counsel, in your care, in your love. It means laboring day and night for the whole flock. It will mean sacrifice not only for you, but also for your families. As you give of yourself, you will give of your schedule, and the labor will need to be shared in new ways in your homes. This is a sacrifice that you are giving for the good of the church because I trust and I believe you know and you believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a hard thing. It's a whole self thing, but it's a rewarded thing. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, when the chief shepherd appears, he will reward you with a crown of unfading glory. This is precious work. It's hard work. It's whole self work, but it is rewarded work. And if you are going to spend your lives for anything, why not spend it for the glory of the one who purchased you? Now, as you consider all of these things, it is likely that you, like me, feel overwhelmed and feel some sense of insufficiency for the work. Which is why the last thing Paul says here is give the whole of it to God. Take, take all of it, all the, the counsel that you're called to give to the whole flock, all the people that you care for and all the labor that you've given, the way you've poured your, poured your heart and your tears out for the sake of the flock. Give all of it to God. Verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is not resignation. This is resolve. He has labored hard, and now he gives them to God. 
He has given his whole self night and day to this flock at Ephesus, and now he gives the flock back to God. Having done all that he can physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, he commits those he loves to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace, which has saved them, it's sanctifying, it's keeping them, it's the message of the gospel. This is not, this is not simply mind work of, of knowing, trusting in our own ability to understand, to read the word, to apply the word. This is a message of salvation in Christ, that he, has, he believes that he has labored faithfully to train them in the gospel so that now he can say, I'm commending you to the message and to the God of the message that he will care for you and that you will abide in the word of grace. See, there comes a point when we must consider that we won't be able to run the whole race with this flock, with these people. And when we are gone, when we are done, when we have finished our course here, what is the hope for them? At the end of the day, it's not our labor. It's not how much of ourselves we gave. Our hope is bound up in God and in the message, the word of his grace. Our hope in carrying out this ministry is not our own faithfulness. It's not the exhaustive and exhausting nature of the way we've poured ourselves out for other, others. Our hope is that all of our labor, all the labor we've done will be rendered effective by the grace of God to whom we commit this flock. We're called to be men who give our whole selves to the whole flock, teaching the whole counsel of God, and then taking the whole of it, holding nothing back, and committing it all to the Lord, who cares more for this church than we do. Brothers, we are called to leave it all out there. Let's hold nothing back. Let's live and labor for the good of this flock, and the glory of God, giving our whole selves.